Welcome to season eight of the Life Giver Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Weathers. I'm a military spouse, clinician, and leadership coach. And Life Giver is where I get to spark honest conversations, interview experts, and encourage you with topics on military culture, marriage, and leadership. So give yourself permission to pause and lean in. There's something for everyone here. Life Giver Podcast. This is your host, Corey Weathers. I wanted to have an episode that addressed the topic of mental wellness. This is a topic that we think that we have been talking about for a really long time, but it is have it has evolved. And we now are saying the same thing, using the same words, and yet there's so much confusion nowadays between mental illness, mental health, mental wellness, what it means to be holistically well. The conversation has changed, and I wanted to do an episode on this because it's one of the topics that I've been asked to speak on a lot lately, which is really pulling apart these definitions, bringing clarity to it, and starting a conversation that I think we've been needing to have for a really long time. And so I'm going to address, like, what does it mean to be mentally well? I'm going to address a little bit about our military culture and some of the resources that are available, and what's the difference between those resources, and what do you go to for what. I'm going to do my best to share those in a way that you have not heard about it before because I'm really not here to just throw a bunch of information at you. I really want this to be a conversation that brings new perspective to what you have heard or what you've known about mental health and really with the hope that you can have new conversations and dialogue with those around you. So this is a topic that is really coming up a lot because Gen Z is coming on the scene and they're definitely coming into the force asking us to really respect the conversation around mental health. And millennials for the longest time have really been advocating and modeling and trying to find the balance of mental wellness and holistic care. And so when all these generations are clashing, they're oftentimes using the same words such as mental health, but meaning very different things. So regardless of where you're at today, you may be in a really good place or you may be in a place that you're struggling. I think this episode is really, really important because it's time for us to come around the table as a round table of different generations coming together and talking about what does it mean to be well. And I think that that is where I want to start. I think that's where we have to start the conversation in general is what does it mean for you to be well. I want you to take a moment and think just in your own life, in your own heart, take a moment to reflect. Maybe you pause what you're doing right now. If you're multitasking, maybe you stop and pause just for a moment to just ask yourself, where are you at? What do you need? When you have this um, phrase that you are hearing um, kind of really pierce your heart, and ask you, what does it mean for you to be well during this season? What comes to mind? 
chances are what's coming up in you could include several different dimensions of health. You could be feeling right now that, you know, what it means to be well right now is to physically feel well. Perhaps there's aches in your body. Perhaps there is joints that are screaming at you. Perhaps there's issues within your gut. Perhaps there's a medical diagnosis. Perhaps you're just feeling tired. And what you really want right now, what would really make you feel like you are well is that you physically are in a better place. Others of you might respond to that question and go, you know what? Everything else feels like it's doing okay, but what I'm really needing right now is to be spiritually centered somehow. Maybe there are questions that you're asking about your faith tradition. Maybe there's questions that you have about God. Maybe it's just a disconnect that you feel with others or in your spiritual life that makes you feel like something is missing. Maybe similar to the last episode with Amber, where she was doing all the right practices, doing all the right things, but something was not right. Something was missing in her relationship with God that when she slowed herself down and found meditation, found yoga, coming back into her body and actually listening for God's voice, that she started to feel a different kind of wellness in her life. Maybe those of you who are listening are feeling that what could really help you achieve that next level of wellness is a different kind of centeredness where you have a lot of anxiety in your mind, you have a lot of worry in your mind, your mind is going a million miles a minute, maybe you have so much to do on your to-do list, maybe there's so much information packed in your mind right now that you just need stillness, that you need centeredness, groundness, peace in your life, or just the feeling that you don't have to be afraid and that you really just want to be mentally well. Maybe that includes your mood. Maybe you've been feeling down for a while and there's a lot of reasons why. Um, So there's lots of different dimensions that could come up when we talk about what does it mean for you to be well. Um, It can involve community and support. It could involve financial wellness. Um, And the point to me asking you that is that all of you have at least one dimension or topic that comes up in your mind when I ask you, what would it look like for you to be well and what would it take for you to get there? Chances are at least one, if not more of those dimensions pop up because there are lots of variables that contribute to us being well or to being more well than we are right now. And so this is the crux of the question when it comes to wellness. And when we talk about mental health, oftentimes all of these dimensions play a part in mental wellness. The mental health community, the psychology community is actually fairly new in that it's not as old as the medical community. We don't even have as much research or scientific data that helps us in the mental health field that goes back as far as the medical community. And yet, like concentric circles, the mental health community overlaps with the medical community, especially when we look at psychiatry. When we look at psychosis, what we would call psychosis are those disorders, those diagnoses, those conditions that really do well or respond well to medical treatment, to medicines. It Like concentric circles, they overlap with the medical community. And yet there's a big part of the mental health community or the profession that really is outside of the medical community that's really more in the humanities when it gets into these other dimensions of wellness, such as 
taking a look at your mood and looking at how are you eating and how does your eating and your diet affect your mood? How does your sense of community and your connection to community and culture affect your mood and your state? What is your relationship with your family? What is your relationship with your job and your relationship with money? How does that all impact the state of your wellness? And so there's a lot of confusion sometimes around this topic of mental health, this topic of mental wellness, and who should do what when it comes to helping us achieve those better states of wellness. And so there's a huge clash right now when it comes to generations because generations from boomer and older. So when I mention the boomers, I'm meaning um, at this point in 2023, 58 to 76, then you've got the silent generation and then you've got the greatest generation. You know, not much is said about the silent generation. Um, I think, I think of them sometimes as a Gen X. Gen X's are often called the forgotten generation because we're sandwiched between millennials and boomers and often forgotten during, or during their feuds and during their conversations. But um, I think silence probably are the same way in the fact that they're sandwiched between boomers and the greatest generation. But when we talk about anyone in those generations, especially 58 and older, these are generations where mental health was not really talked about much, where vulnerabilities and things that you struggle with um, was not really said out loud or processed out loud. Um, and with the psychology field being fairly new, um, showing up sometime around 1940s, maybe a little bit earlier than that, but really we're only talking about in the last century, are we starting to have these conversations about mental health where you see Freud and Erickson and Carl Jung all having these developmental theories, these theories of personality, these theories of um, what they would consider as mentally ill or that psychosis. And so this is a new topic, but when we bring it into these generational conversations, it's a new topic, I think, for us in our culture, for especially anyone that is younger than the boomer generation. I think the boomer generation definitely did start to have this conversation earlier when um, they found when your boomer generation really had the highest rates of divorce, where there was a lot of chasing of financial security and career accomplishment, there was a lot of wonderful things that they did as well. When um, with women coming into the workplace, really striving for these advancements of what does it mean to be successful? What does it mean to be happy? And so they, there were definitely some within the boomer generation that was a lot more comfortable with counseling, therapy, and wellness compared to past generations where especially when you, we have World War I veterans, World War II veterans that rarely, if ever, told their story of war, told their stories of trauma. And so you see this gradual, especially as we get into millennials and Gen Z, um, this gradual acceptance of what it means to be vulnerable and what it means to to talk about what we call these vulnerabilities. Now, in the military, when we use that word vulnerabilities, it really means like kind of like a crack in the armor, a weakness. Um, when we talk about from a military standpoint, vulnerabilities are, you know, going into a mission, we're assessing vulnerabilities. Where is our mission, our force, our group, um, our team vulnerable? And that's not a good thing to be vulnerable because we need to be solid. We need to be sure and certain. And we definitely need 
need to be together and united on working together in that mission. And so vulnerabilities are weaknesses. And yet in the humanities, we talk about vulnerabilities being a sign of strength. And so you can see how, especially in this culture, that's going to clash as we have more conversations about what does it mean to be vulnerable? What does it mean to struggle? What does it mean to need help? And so we have right now in our culture a huge clash of um, conversation around mental health. When I started my career, especially in the military culture, there was definitely a lot of stigma around getting help counseling, therapy, or just um, mental health, you know, counseling. And so that was, um, there was a huge stigma associated with that because again, it was considered a vulnerability. There was a lot of issues or concern or fears around losing clearance. Um, Who do you talk to when you're not allowed to even talk about the things that you know about? And you definitely can't talk to civilians without that clearance. And so why even go to counseling? Um, But it was definitely seen as a vulnerability. And so when there, when I say that there's a mental health crisis now, you might be wondering how different is that compared to the mental health crises of the past? And so there was definitely stigma. There was definitely um, fear. There was definitely um, suicide rates and, and there was definitely concerns in the veteran population about getting help even back 10, 15 years ago. But what's different now is that you have these younger generations that are wanting to normalize this conversation around mental health and the need for better wellness and not to include that we are imperfect, that we struggle, that there are times that we're going to experience depression and anxiety that we maybe all have trauma of some kind. And why can't we make this an everyday conversation that we are more comfortable with? Why is it something that we need to hide? So the generational conversation on its own is definitely one that contributes to the crisis in that Gen Z and millennials as well, but especially Gen Z want to normalize it and older generations are very uncomfortable with that. Or they're more comfortable with... um, being okay to say that it's okay to struggle, but go to a counselor for that or go to your chaplain for that. Um, Maybe it's not something that we talk about every day in the workplace. And so while they're comfortable with that, um, it's definitely something that's going to still include a little bit of debate or struggle. But the other reason why there is a huge crisis right now is that, yes, and if you follow me on Facebook, I've done a video on this before as far as the um, shortage of clinicians. Um, I've been fighting TRICARE. Um, I've been trying to advocate within the DOD system about the shortage of clinicians and what my, um, it's not my opinions on it because it's based off of lots of conversations in the mental health space with clinicians. But we do have a shortage of clinicians, especially those that can serve the military. And I may get to that here in a few minutes. Um, There's definitely a shortage there. Um, Making it harder for people to get care using the resources that are available to them. Um, So that's part of the crisis as well. Um, But that also means that we have a shortage of culturally competent providers that understand our culture, what it 
that understand the impact of the lifestyle and two decades of war on a person or on a family and can work with that individual or family with that cultural competency. I can't tell you how many clients I've worked with, probably every single one of them that has um, been to a, let, let me say a civilian clinician. I don't mean military spouse. I mean a, um, a clinician that does not have direct connections with the military lifestyle where they have give, been given a diagnosis that I would not have given them simply because it's normal within our culture, but maybe not normal in the civilian culture. For example, um, we all know that a PCS, a relocation, a deployment, like anything that disrupts our life, our structure, our routine, um, that introduces the stressor of starting over, starting over, especially OCONUS, where you're away from the support that of your family, of friends, or those that you have established support with, that that can bring on depression and anxiety, hopefully temporarily. Um, but also for some people, it can come across as a trauma. Um, there are a lot of people that start over and it, it's not as easy as they want it to be, um, that they are struggling right now. You might be one of them that is struggling to find your people, struggling to um, get your kids connected where they can find their people. And um, I have known a lot of people, myself included, that has watched my kids struggle um, more than I want them to, to the point that it was years of trauma of me carrying the anxiety of watching my kids struggle and knowing that I could do very little to help them with it. And um, for a lot of people who are going through lifestyle stressors like that, hopefully temporarily, they've been given a diagnosis by a civilian provider as as PTSD or depression or anxiety that I would not have given because um, it's temporary with the right um, solutions and resources um, when really they just needed the validation that whatever it is that they're going through, whatever it is that you're going through, that it's probably normal within our community and just normalizing that, just telling someone Number one, you're not alone. Number two, this is really hard. Number three, of course you care about your kids. Of course you care about your own well-being um, and that you don't want it to be this way, that you don't want to be stuck in it and that you're looking for the support and the support is not easy to find, that those are all reasons to struggle. Those are all reasons to be discouraged. And sometimes just normalizing that with a person is all they need to, to get out of the swamp and not build a house there. And so um, there is definitely a struggle right now with um, with finding enough providers that can give those messages and see what you're going through in the context of what you're going through it. So um, I don't know who needs to hear that right now. Who needs to hear that maybe what you're going through right now is normal for where you are, for what life has handed you understandable that you feel discouraged and, um, and that you asking for help and you telling your story to a friend, um, is number one, not only the first step, but maybe, um, exactly what you need to start to decompress, to start to feel more well. So all that to say, um, 
we are in a mental health crisis, um, a crisis of miscommunication on what the very definitions of mental health are, um, and also the resources that were normally available to us are also in their own state of crisis. And because of that, um, there's a huge demand for better health in those dimensions of wellness and fewer providers to help with it. There's also an oversaturation of information out there on everything from you know, content telling you how unwell you are, um, Instagram advertisements that are telling you how you could be better, how you could be younger, um, younger looking, younger feeling, um, how you could be more healthy in your gut, in your mind, in your body, in your joints, um, whatever is being advertised to you right now, depending on probably what you've been saying out loud. And of course, your phone hearing you. <laughs> There's probably um, any number of messages that are being presented to you about how you could be more well than you are right now. And so there's an oversaturation of information that's coming at us that tempts us towards um, new kinds of wellness and yet fewer providers to help us discern what that looks like and massive amounts of information advertised to us, um, products advertised to us on how we could be healthier. And you add all of that up together. We are at a cultural crossroads where we need to have um, order to the chaos and we need better understanding. We need definitely better definitions um, and new ways to dialogue about this so that we don't lose our own minds, literally. <laughs> and that's what this episode is about. So I wanted to start um, Yes, it's 20 minutes in and I'm saying start, um, but I wanted to fully unpack like why this is an important conversation and why it's different from the conversation 10 years ago to, in order to kind of paint that picture. And so let's talk about what are the definitions of, um, of mental health so that we can be on the same page and talk about um, how that impacts our life. And so let me just start by um, saying that when the psychology field started, I would say, these are my words, uh, mixed with some definitions from the American Psychological Association, um, but I would say that we started this whole career in this field with the idea of mental illness um, by categorizing using the DSM, what used to be different versions of the DSM. We're now at the DSM-5, um, but where we were using these different diagnoses um, with different criteria to help us figure out what was healthy versus what was considered illness, needing extra care, needing extra support. And that's kind of the way that I like to look back on it and go, you know, we were really looking at what is healthy versus what is not healthy, what what it can be categorized as illness. And the DSM-5 really helped our profession sort out the two. So even when we look at PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, which is now post-traumatic stress syndrome, which again is another evolution of normalizing it, 
um, we were really looking at here is trauma. Nowadays, we would call it little trauma versus big trauma. But here we have trauma and then how trauma impacts your mind and your body and your ability to function. And so really, when you would look at these criteria, any of the criteria, especially in the DSM, it was really looking at how much does this trauma or if we're talking about depression or anxiety, how much does this mood impact your daily functioning? And if I could crudely simplify the the DSM when it comes to is something healthy or is something not healthy and we're into the realm of illness, it's really how much does it impact your daily functioning? So if you are so um, struggling with depression that you're not getting out of bed, you're not um, having good hygiene, you are disconnected from um, productive um, daily activities such as school, work, family involvement, connections, and you're really isolating yourself, you're sleeping all day or you're not sleeping at all, or you're eating too much or you're not eating, like any of those things that are on an extreme where it's interfering with your ability to function in life, then that's usually a red flag that we're dealing with mental illness. And so when we use this term mental illness, we're really looking at what is um, on those extremes that are so severe that you are having a hard time functioning. And so when you think about these older generations, we're going to say boomer and older, where they really were not willing to show their vulnerability, um, really it wasn't a necessary conversation unless it was interfering with their ability to function. And we would hear stories of even um, war heroes um, who were dealing with their traumas quietly in their mind and in their body, and yet using drugs and alcohol to cope with it, and really it getting to a place if they were not able to function with their daily life that we would say this was um, moving towards addictions or moving towards PTSD or something where they needed extra help and assistance, but it really wasn't something that they felt the culture or their homes or their relationships or their work environment was open to having a conversation about it. And so they really quietly struggled with these struggles that I think um, in their repression of it, in their um, in their lack of safe space to really be seen and understood and heard, that it compounded to the point where they either shamed themselves so much internally or weren't able to get clarity on it that it, they became really a lot of them struggling with some level of what we would call mental illness. Um, and so when we talk about mental illness, we're talking about, I'm using the definition of any behaviors or states of mood um, that really get us um, to a place where we are having it interfere with our daily functioning, that's mental illness, okay? And for the longest time, that has been the conversation. Either you're mentally ill or you're not. You're mentally ill or you're mentally healthy. That was really kind of the two choices for the longest time. So when people started talking about therapy and counseling and getting help, it was really for a long time a conversation of, is this a mental illness? And for a lot of of us in this field, we were trained to look for mentally healthy or mentally ill. But of course, once you get into the counseling office and you start doing life with people and clients every single day, it rarely is it that black and white. And so a majority of my clients in the very beginning of the years of me working in this profession, I would say there was some that were definitely on those fringes of mentally ill. 
But a majority of my caseload was people who were struggling and they felt stuck and they um, really just needed help getting unstuck. And I would need to give a diagnosis for that in order for insurance to pay for it, especially. I would say in the very beginning of my career, everybody had to have a diagnosis. Um, it was just part of our paperwork that everybody needed to have a diagnosis for you to come in. Um, it was part of us as clinicians making sure that we were staying on top of looking for mental illness. And so, and it really wasn't a big deal to get a diagnosis for most people because most people aren't looking into their charts or it's not necessary for them to have a diagnosis. It's not like the medical community where um, you need a diagnosis to get an antibiotic or to get that medicine. Um, for most people dealing with life issues, it really wasn't an issue unless they needed medication management. Now we need a diagnosis. So fast forward a little bit, um, maybe five to 10 years ago, um, we get into this conversation, especially as millennials are coming on the scene, where we're talking about holistic care. We're talking about everything from um, mental health days. A lot of during the time when uh, millennials were labeled as snowflakes, where they were saying, hey, like, what does it mean? They were starting the conversation of what does it mean to be safe, to feel safe, to feel like I can have emotions and it not be labeled or have me labeled that something is wrong with me. There was a lot of people that made fun of millennials for being triggered too easily, for being unicorns, for being those people that were too sensitive. Um, but when I look back, and hopefully when you look back, especially as a millennial, I think what it was doing was starting a conversation about what does it mean? to have emotion? What does it mean to feel in your body and in your mind and in your emotions a reaction? And how do we start processing those in real time instead of stuffing them down, storing them up, and then drinking them away in order to numb ourselves so that we don't have to feel those reactions in our body and our mind anymore? And so they were really introducing this, this beginning conversation of what does it mean to feel safe in our environment? And eventually I think it evolved into what does it mean to feel safe in our own skin um, and do triggers, do reactions to people, um, our responses to our work environment, our school environment, does that necessarily need to be a bad thing that we feel triggered? And what do we do when we are triggered? Um, and so unfortunately, I think millennials really got a lot of flack for starting that conversation especially by those older generations that, again, um, were taught um, in really some extreme circumstances um, how to swallow all of that, deal with it on their own, and figure out what it means to be healthy by themselves internally um, or with the support networks that were given to them at the time. And so what entered in with the millennials is this conversation of mental health. Um, what does it mean to have mental health? And so I'm going to say that the definition for mental health is actually the how. How do we stay healthy? What are the mental health practices? And so you see meditation um, being talked about more, yoga, um, 
nutrition and diets that really address your health and how that affects your mood and exploring um, even how health and um, nutrition impacts autoimmune disorders, autism, spectrum disorders, um, even our mental disorders. And so really, what does it look like to have holistic care, even down to essential oils and how that impacts our state, our emotional state, our mental state, our physical state? And so when millennials start to come onto the scene into adulthood, um, we really evolve the conversation away from mental illness to mental health practices and um, really exploring this idea of what does it mean to be mentally healthy. And so now you enter in with Gen Z growing up in their schools. We call them the mass generation the mass shooter generation, which might be alarming for those of you who have kids that are Gen Z. I have kids that are Gen Z and it is um, sad, but also um, not surprising considering my kids would come home from school having gone through these mass shooter drills. It really sets apart their generation apart from, let's say, the Gen X generation that grew up with nuclear drills, tornado drills, but definitely not mass shooter drills. And so we call Gen Z, unfortunately, the mass shooter generation, but they grew up during a time of um, realizing that your neighborhoods may not be safe. Um, like the Gen X grew up with safe neighborhoods. We saw that starting to shift. Um, and I write about this in my book, Military Culture Shift, when I talk about these different generations and how safety, this idea of safety just um, evolved over time from this expansive, safe place of playing outside and our neighbors are safe and the world is safe and the malls are safe and the arcades are safe to really growing over time, it becoming the world becoming less safe and us becoming more and more isolated into our homes. And so by the time you get to Gen Z, um, really the mass shooter generation experience is that my schoolmate, my classmate can be unsafe, whether it is their emotional state um, or COVID that they could physically be unsafe too, and that they physically can be a threat. And so Gen Z grew up during a very dark time of loneliness. They are considered the loneliest generation, whereas past generations who've been researched on loneliness um, when we look at measuring all the generations, it used to be that your elderly generation was typically the loneliest. And now what we're seeing is Gen Z is actually the, considered the loneliest generation um, in that they grew up with um, less neighborhood play, less community play, less involvement in institutions such as churches. Um, homeschooling was on the rise, um, in many cases, reducing the amount of people that they are around there too. But you just see this in increased distrust in others, but also distrust in the institutions around them. And so um, for Gen Z, it is a much darker experience um, of growing up. And so what Gen Z coming into adulthood brings to the conversation is that, um, first of all, that mental health practices are important because it is like their lifeline. Um, because without it, um, depression, anxiety, um, traumas even, 
is a normal part of their everyday life. They are face to face with their with loneliness and with dark thoughts more than any generation before them, at least um, that we have recorded and have documented. And so um, while there might be plenty of generations going back to the, I think it's the lost generation, the Spanish flu, but also coming back from World War One, all happening at the same time, we don't have as much documented in their mental health journey um, or how they got well. In fact, that's why they're named the lost generation because they came back to a community and culture that was completely different from the one that they left. They came back to the roaring 20s where people were um, completely unbridled. And that was so starkly different from their experience of war and their trauma of war that they just felt lost and disconnected. And yet it was never something that they could talk about. And here we have Gen Z who similarly has gone through um, seeing war, um, seeing um, content globally of unrest, of political division, their country divided politically, um, their families divided over politics, over COVID, over vaccines, um, over religion. Um, they are seeing these institutions crumble around them. They're seeing um, COVID and mass shooting. There's just a lot of dark stuff that Gen Z has gone through. And so they have a value system that they are bringing to the table that is saying, we need to conversate um, more about about mental health, but about mental illness. And is it actually illness or is it something that we need to normalize that all of us have the capacity to have low days, to have fear, to have insecurity, to have anxiety? Um, and can we have a conversation about what we do about that? What is the mental health practices that need to be in our everyday life so that we can be well? This is a generation that wants mentoring. They want relationships with those that have wisdom to offer. Um, but they need to hear from older generations that are willing to have honest, authentic conversation about their own struggles. How did you get through those dark days yourself? How did you um, get through dark days, difficult days in your marriage, in the workplace? Um, how did you feel when you got fired? What did you do to get healthy again? What did you do to get the next job? What did you learn from that so that they don't have to go through the same thing? They're inviting us to a conversation about mental wellness. And so here we have mental illness starts the, the field of psychology um, when we start exploring what it means to be healthy in mind and spirit and in emotion. Then you have millennials that are inviting the conversation about mental health and talking about it and having the courage to talk about it more. And then you have the Gen Z culture the Gen Z generation that is saying, hey, we all struggle here. Um, definitely we are struggling. Is anybody willing to talk about it with us? And maybe what the bigger, broader conversation is, is mental wellness. What does it mean to be well? And so this brings us to the first question I started with. What does it mean for you to be well? What does it mean for you to be well in mind, in body, in spirit, um, in your emotions? What does it mean for you to be in a well state, a state of mood, state of personality? I think that is the bigger, broader conversation. And how we go about being mentally well or being just well 
looks very different for each person because each of us would answer that in a different way. And so when I ask you that question, and if the first thing that pops up in your mind is, you know, I need employment so that I can be financially more secure, which will boost my mood, which will boost my confidence. That is what it means for you to go to that next level of wellness. And it may not be about depression. It may be about a sense of purpose. And someone else might be listening and going, you know, I'm not um, taking care of my body. And that has me in a very low place where I have low self-confidence, where I have insecurity, where I know that I'm anxious about uh, my relationship with other people because of the relationship that I have with food. And the next thing on your mind is I need to be well in my relationship with food and nutrition. And this is the, these are the kinds of conversations that we need to start having. What does it mean for you to be well? The whole reason why I wrote Military Culture Shift is that our community, our military community especially, is not well in so many ways. In so many ways, we are burned out, we are exhausted, and every generation that has been touched by the two decades of war that we just went through has a different story to tell and has a different set of needs. Gen X and Boomer, but especially Gen X, experienced a majority of the two decades of war. And I would say they're exhausted. They're burned out. They're raising Gen Z kids who experienced also their own ramifications of how deployment and reintegration and relocation, all the other lifestyle stressors, how that affected their formation, their early formation years in relationships at school, their achievements in school, their confidence. And so Gen X is um, struggling right now when it comes to being well, I think, in body, in spirit. I've heard so many, especially Gen Xers who are active duty, who've relocated so many times, who struggle in their relationship with their faith tradition because they've not had a home church or a home community where they share that same faith tradition with other people people where they can do life alongside the same people and both be served by that community and also have the chance to serve that community that they haven't had that for so long that you might be hearing this. Maybe that's, maybe that's you listening where you haven't had that for a really long time. And so you feel a lack of purpose. You feel lonely, you feel disconnected. Um, and you're struggling with hope because you haven't had access to that. And so When we talk about what does it mean for you to be well or mentally well, there's a lot that might be coming up in you right now that is telling you, you need rest across the board, rest in your mind, rest when it comes to community and that you need connection, that you need relationships, that you need hope that comes from connection, hope that comes with service, getting outside of your own skin and outside of your own weariness and helping someone else. Um, even though you feel like no one has helped you for a really long time. And so there's a lot of Gen X listening that are just weary. And when I ask that question of what does it mean for you to be well, there's a flood of things that are coming in your mind of ways that you could be more well than you are right now. My encouragement to you, if you're in that category, is to do the first thing that comes to your mind to get well. Maybe that means that you do go see a third-party neutral person 
whether that is a counselor or a chaplain um, or someone else, a friend, where you can begin to have these honest conversations to normalize what your experience is and that it's okay if millennials and Gen Z and even boomers have a different experience than you that doesn't negate what you've been through. It doesn't negate your need. And so others of you are listening that you maybe are millennials and you have been touched by some of those years of the two decades, but maybe you came in on the second decade where you came into a community that was highly anxious, very much online, not in person, the way that everybody described it was, that it wasn't necessarily a positive experience, or maybe you experienced pockets that were positive, but you had a very different experience of our military culture than other people have described. And you are raising young children right now, and you are also weary in a different way. And that when I ask you, what does it mean for you to be well? Some of you are just saying, I need a nap and I need a sandwich. (laughs) Like I need just just to give myself some sustenance and that that is okay for you to pursue that. And that if you don't know how to parent your kids perfectly, that that's okay. That's part of the journey, that it's okay for you to not know what to do. And can I just encourage you right now, um, whether your kids are really young or whether they are adults, um, that you have time to figure it out. And that oftentimes this is about building relationships with your kids more than getting it perfectly right. And so can I just try to impart some wisdom to you right now that being well when it comes to your relationships with others around you, your kids, your spouse, your parents, is really just about who you can be in their presence, that you don't have to have the answer, um, but can you be a safe person that they can come to you? Can you be a safe, non-anxious presence um, that they can... um, bring their own struggles with, and that it's not about solving them, but again, that it's about just having a place to take it, a safe place. And can you become that safe place? And guess what? There's no way to become a safe person if you don't do the work to be well, to invest in yourself in the ways that only you know right now that you need to invest. You know, like you know, when I've asked you those questions, what you need to do next that you have been avoiding or neglecting, do that next right thing that helps you become more well, and it will help you become more safe, more centered, more calm, more present, for whoever it is that you're interacting with on a daily basis that um, really doesn't need you to be anything or get anything perfectly right other than for you to be a safe person. And if you're a Gen Z that's listening right now, you've had a completely different experience of the military culture than the rest of us. And you have different expectations and different excitements of what you hope this culture is going to become. And you have a different set of needs too. And if you are um, coming in with struggling with loneliness, struggling with um, a lack of connection, even though you might be connecting to a lot of people online and in your platforms, that's not the same thing. And you know it's not the same thing as real relationships. Can I just mentor you right now and say the real relationships are worth it, that lots of people have known loneliness around you. And oftentimes asking someone, would you be willing to go out for coffee. I'd really like to get to know you, to hear your story. Um, That 
over a cup of coffee, sharing our stories is where we find often our, our clarity of next steps, where we find connection, where we go, wow, you know, we're going through the same thing, or we have gone through the same thing. And this conversation was needed in order for us to feel seen, to feel safe and understood and to have those clarity of next steps. So, um, when it comes to being mentally well, I hope that what you're getting from what I'm saying today is that there's different definitions, that different generations have different definitions and, um, that we all are in different places in needing to take a next step to become more mentally well. And that that is the conversation that is stumping everyone right now. And when it comes to resources, most people especially in the military culture, most people are pursuing their mental wellness. All of those dimensions that we've talked about, those different kinds of ways, those mental health practices to become mentally well, most people are running to their benefits, specifically their TRICARE benefits to find that mental wellness. And so what's happening is we're flooding the TRICARE system Um, a system that already has a shortage of providers um, who are trying to pursue, many of them are trying to pursue their own wellness after years of serving the culture through COVID. Many providers have either abandoned the profession, have adjusted or evolved their career to coaching like I have um, in order to move to a different place to respond to the burnout that they went through because of COVID. Um, or they are in a place where they've abandoned the TRICARE contracts because of them being such low-paying contractors and because it is just a hot mess um, trying to work with TRICARE um, and the contractors Humana and HealthNet are just a hot mess to work with. And so there's a lot of reasons why there's a shortage right now. Um, But when you have a shortage and you have the culture flooding the TRICARE system to meet all of those needs, not just of mental illness, but of mental wellness as well, coping with everyday life stressors such as marital issues, um, anxiety, just everyday um, life, anxiety, grief that is natural and situational. When you've lost someone important to you, of course there's grief. And if you need help to work through that, we have people that are flooding the TRICARE system, which is a medical system. And so that is important for you to understand in that as a medical provider. So as a mental health provider, remember when I said those circles are concentric circles, they sometimes overlap. When I am a TRICARE provider, in order for me to get paid, if you're coming to me and using your TRICARE benefits, um, you are coming to me and in order for me to get paid, I have to give you a diagnosis in order for it to be a medical problem that TRICARE is willing to pay for because TRICARE is your medical benefits. So that means your mental health providers must give you a diagnosis. Now, like I said earlier, you may not care that you are getting a depression diagnosis, an anxiety um, diagnosis. Most of the people that I serve, especially if they're regular life issues that they're coming to me for, um, I give them an adjustment disorder. It's the mildest thing I can possibly give out of the DSM, but I have to give a diagnosis. And so do the other clinicians that are working with TRICARE. They have to give you a diagnosis for TRICARE to pay for it. This is the reason why TRICARE does not cover marital counseling because marriage counseling is not a medical issue. It's not a medical diagnosis. In that framework, 
which person, you or your spouse, gets the diagnosis, who has the mental illness. And that is why TRICARE doesn't cover marriage counseling because you're coming for counseling because both of you are struggling. And that means I, as a provider, have to give one of you a diagnosis and write the chart in one of your names, right? And so that's why TRICARE says they don't cover marriage counseling. And I support that, by the way, because I don't want to give people a diagnosis anymore that they don't need. And that's why a lot of mental health professionals have abandoned insurance companies and are doing something different because they're tired of giving a diagnosis for regular life issues, for mental wellness issues. And so in response, they are moving to coaching. They're moving to private pay where they don't have to work with insurance companies and give you a diagnosis um, in order to deal with their own integrity. And so, so many people are coming to counseling for good reasons, for mental wellness reasons, and to learn mental health practices. But you don't need a diagnosis for that. It is not a mental illness. And so the military culture has given you these other resources, such as a chaplain, your MFLAX, and military one source clinicians to go for non medical care. And so your MFLAX and your military one source clinicians are licensed clinicians just like me. I have been, I've not been an MFLAC. It's always been on my kind of backup plan. If I ever needed just a job, I would go be an MFLAC. But um, they're the same profession, whether you are a TRICARE clinician, a MFLAC or a military one source clinician. They're all licensed providers. They're all mental health providers that can give a diagnosis. The difference is your military one source providers and your MFLACs are not giving you a diagnosis because they are coming, you're coming to them for mental wellness issues, marriage issues, just generalized anxiety or depression, grief, whatever that is. And that's why your benefits, those non-medical benefits are giving you about 12 sessions to deal with that life issue. And then you should be unstuck and, and ready to move forward. The problem, though, is that the same people, such as myself, the same people that are TRICARE clinicians are also contracted as military one source clinicians. And that means if I, as a TRICARE provider, am completely booked and I have no availability, that means me as a, mental, as a military one source clinician, I'm also booked, right? If I have no room on my schedule and I'm contracted to do both um, services, that means if one clinician's out and they're contracted with both, I'm out and unavailable for both of those, those pathways for clients to reach me. And that adds to the shortage of why we're having a hard time with um, providers being available. All that to say, I want you to think about when I ask you this question, what does it mean for you to be well? You have a little bit of the um the ability to think through those next steps that you need in your life that may or may not need a third party to help you. Um, so many people go to counseling for anxiety or stress when really it's about boundaries that they need to set in their life. And if that is you, Boundaries by Townsend and Cloud is one of the best resources you could possibly pick up and read. Um, so many people come with anxiety or depression, and it's because they're consuming massive amounts of processed food and sugar and not enough water. And 
I can't tell you how many times I've worked with clients, not as like a first solution because I'm willing to hear the whole story, but sometimes every now and then that's kind of a first step is like, let's get your body in a good place and then let's see where your mood is. And then let's like, let's rule that out. And so maybe that's the next step for you. Maybe you know that you're lonely and you're struggling with loneliness and depression, and it's just about getting yourself out there and connected. And now more than ever, affinity groups, um, groups that are meeting together with common um, hobbies and interests are helping with connection and community. And maybe that's where you have the courage to take that step and get involved in a community, not a community on Discord, not a community virtually, but literally a community in person. So um, hopefully this clears up for you, um, not only that assessment of where you are personally, but also um, some next steps that you need to take and also some understanding that if you do need help, um, whether it's using your benefits through TRICARE, Military OneSource, or any of the other solutions, um, that it's helping you understand which direction to go to for what and why you might face some of the obstacles that you're seeing there. And I hope that if it's a wellness issue, that you can tap into some of the resources that are right in front of you to have the courage for you to do today that only you can do for yourself. Um, this is so, so vitally important that we start having this conversation that when Gen Z is asking for us to be authentic and vulnerable and have a conversation around mental health, that a lot of times they're talking about mental wellness. Um, and in some cases, talking about mental illness too, and inviting us to have a deeper, broader conversation of what is actually mental illness and psychosis, um, what is out of the ordinary versus what is something that all of us um, are struggling with or have struggled with? How do we normalize this conversation of being vulnerable, that we need each other, that we need community, that we need um, in-person interaction, that we need mentoring? Um, and how do we normalize the really difficult stuff in life, this feeling of being unsafe emotionally, unsafe um, in the culture, unsafe to talk about our struggles? Um, what does it mean for us to be there for each other, to help each other get through very difficult times um, instead of us all isolating and numbing ourselves with alcohol, with Netflix, with um, busyness, with screens, whatever that is, um, instead of taking care of us where we could be more well than we are today. So I hope that this was helpful. I hope that it clarified some things for you. More than anything, I hope that it clarifies what that next step is for you in your life, in your journey. Um, thank you for listening. Um, my new book is coming out in a month. And because of that, I'm going to wrap up this season in order for me to focus on the launch of Military Culture Shift, where I unpack so much more of what we talked about today, not specifically about mental health, but the generations, the different experience of each generation of military culture, um, how our culture is doing today, why we're dealing with a recruitment crisis, um, where I believe retention is actually headed, um, and some of the things that we need to be concerned about, um, and validating some of your thoughts and concerns about how the military culture has shifted over the last two decades. And I unpack all of the reasons why it's shifted, how it's shifted 
shifted um, and what we can actually do about it as leaders. My whole goal of the book is to empower you, whether you're a spouse, whether you are a military leader, a policymaker, um, a civilian, whatever form of leadership that you have, to empower you to hear the person's story in front of you with compassion and within the context that their story is very different from yours and that we need to start telling our stories more openly so that we can serve each other with more intention. So I hope that you will pre-order the book. All pre-orders come um, signed by me if that's something that you care about. Um, I'm signing all pre-order copies. Um, it's, it's available for pre-order, which means it will be shipped to you on November 14th and you'll be the first one to hold it in your hands. I may even actually be holding the book in my hands at the same time you are, um, because the publisher is working so hard to get it out on time. Um, but I hope that you'll pick up a copy. I hope that you see your story resonating throughout the book. Um, maybe the story of other people that you know, and that it empowers you to lead the next generation with intentionality, and with compassion. Thank you guys so much for joining me this, um, not only for this episode, but for this season. Um, I'm going to wrap up this season. I may give you one more bonus episode where I'm going to um, read a portion of the introduction of Military Culture Shift in a bonus last episode um, to introduce you to a little bit more about what Military Culture Shift is about. Um, and I hope you will go over to the Military Culture Shift podcast that I am launching to go with the book, which is another reason why I'm going to be wrapping up this season so that I can concentrate on that podcast and get it ready to go. There are some amazing interviews and stories that go along with the book. Um, interviews with people who were at Abbey Gate at the, um, Af during the Afghanistan exit that are really powerful. Um, I talk with amazing experts and leaders about what they've seen over the last two decades of how our military culture has shifted, how we turn some things around, how do we start taking better care of each other, understanding the different generations that exist within our culture right now. And so I'm going to be focusing on getting that podcast up and running. So I hope I'm going to put it in the show notes. Hope that you will go over and subscribe to that podcast where you can actually hear the trailer if you've not heard it already. Um, that's where I'm going to be. So I need you to jump over and subscribe to that so you don't miss it when it comes out. Um, but lots of great things coming and I just can't do them all at once. So thank you for joining me for this season eight of the Life Giver podcast. I hope that it um, inspired you to look at your marriage, inspired you to look in your own versions of leadership and um, really helped you raise to the next level of leadership that you also got a chance to look introspectively at um, some of the very difficult things that you have going on in your own life and how you can um, develop your character to become more gritty, to become more perseverant, to become stronger in who you are, to build the right relationships around you that are important, that are necessary and more important probably than anything else you do in your life. Um, and that you, especially with this episode, that you really look introspectively in um, your heart and in your mind and in your emotions and in your um, relationship, relationship with God too, and seeing how you can um, move to that next level of wellness and find yourself um, in a better place than you are today. So thank you guys for joining me for season eight and hop over to the Military Culture 
Culture Shift podcast, where hopefully this fall we will launch with more episodes, more interviews, specifically on our culture and what has shifted over the last two decades. And each episode will um, support and expand the conversation of the book, Military Culture Shift, that comes out November 14th. Thank you guys so much for joining me. And I will see you over on the other podcast. I appreciate you and I appreciate you spreading the word on this important work of encouraging our force, encouraging families so that they stay intact, but more importantly, encouraging you to be more well than you were yesterday. Thank you for listening to the Life Giver podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast or leave a review so others can find it as well. Were you thinking of someone else who would benefit from hearing today's episode? You can be a life giver to them by simply sharing it with an encouraging note. If you'd like to connect with me or find out more about my work, you can visit www.coryweathers.com.